calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey everyone, this is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hello, everyone, and <laughs> welcome to another brand new episode review of uh, uh, the Geek Buddies. <laughs> hey! That's right. We are uh, doing another Mandalorian spoiler review here. Spoiler review of uh, the latest episode, The Jedi, Chapter 13. Mike is coming to us live from the planet of Corvu. Uh, <laughs> Uh, about the new magistrate that's happening here. No, no, there's so much we're going to get into today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was an episode that just connected to so many things and and uh, revealed so many things. We're going to get into all of that and talk about what it might mean for the future as well as what we saw in the episode. I am one of your hosts. I am the outlaw, John Roca, joined as always by this man over there to my left. I am Michael Vogel, uh, happy to be back, coming to you uh, from the mountains and so excited that I had to like just talk about this episode no matter where i was that's right and joining us again this week a very special guest sitting in for our fellow geek buddy shannon mcclough we're gonna thank laura kelly how are you Woo! Laura? Woo! 
I'm fantastic. I am so excited to talk about this episode. I'm coming to you from my normal location in Chicago. (laughs) In the middle of a Christmas movie marathon. So we appreciate you taking the time to come and hang out with us uh, today. But we do want to start before we start into this episode. We do want to say uh, with our fellow geek buddies permission, Shannon McClung. Mike, what do we uh, what did he ask us to say? Well, Shannon wanted to let us know, as you guys know, he's been absent the past few weeks on the main show and on our Mandalorian reviews. Uh, we said he was dealing with some personal stuff, and uh, we wanted to let everybody know, uh, you know, his father recently and unexpectedly passed away. So he's yeah. been back home dealing with that and, uh, you know, kind of just spending time with his family. But he wanted to let his Geek Buddies family know that that's where he was. And, uh, you know, so wants to uh, let everybody know he's excited to come back once he's ready. Uh, and, uh, you know, we all send him our well wishes we obviously love him very much we know that a lot of you guys uh from watching the reviews and the show uh love him very much too so we're all sending shannon and his entire family uh our wishes um and our thoughts at this really hard time Absolutely. And if you follow him on social media, please send him a message of encouragement and support. You know, I've been through this process in 2008. It is not easy. So you never know when someone's words come in at a certain time that kind of picks up your spirit. So don't be shy about sending him some loving, sending, sending him some support during this difficult, difficult time. Um, all right, let's get into this uh, here. Let's get into this spoiler filled. Once again, last warning, spoiler filled. There's a lot we're going to talk about here uh, I mean, as we get into it. So It doesn't get more spoiler filled than chapter 13. <laughs> it really doesn't. We tried to do a non-spoiler review on SEN Live. It was literally 30 seconds long. There's just not much you can talk about that isn't. So let's get into this thing. Just a quick synopsis or, or a quick uh, plot synopsis here. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Din Djarin. He is heading off to the planet of uh, Corvu, uh, specifically to the city of Caldano. Uh, he is trying to find Ahsoka Tano being sent there by Bo-Katan. Uh, he has the child in tow. Uh, and the, the, the episode, we get Ahsoka Tano here starting off. And we have got a, a, a magistrate who ends up hiring Mandalorian to go after Ahsoka Tano. Ahsoka Tano and Mandalorian band together to go and uh, depose the magistrate for being in charge of that town and her right-hand man played by Michael Bean. Uh, and uh, then we get revealed, we get these reveals of Yoda's actual name, Baby Yoda's actual name. We get this reveal of who Ahsoka Tano is going after. So much gets talked about. So let's first get your thoughts about the overall quality of the show. Laura, what's your feelings about this particular episode? You know, I was really excited. I had very, uh, I guess in terms of the amount of Ahsoka Tano content that we were going to get, I had very low expectations. I fully was going into it, expecting it to be a more of a Boba Fett situation that we had at the beginning of this season. Um, I did not expect that we were going to get her throughout the entire episode. I thought it was going to be more of a tease. So I'm, and you know, in the end, it it sort of was, I guess, kind of a tease for what I think of is maybe going to be probably a spinoff series, but this was really exciting for me. We've known for a while that Ahsoka Tano was coming. I'm a huge Ahsoka Tano fan. <laughs> um, so this was, I mean, this was, it's hard to describe. Like, I was trying to think of it earlier today of like, is it like watching TV in black and white and then all of a sudden having color, like the jump from animation <laughs> to live act? Like, I don't know what to compare it to because it's just, it's just pff, like mind blowing when it happens. Yeah. And I was, I was just so happy to see it. So I enjoyed the over the episode overall. Mostly just for Ahsoka's presence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was essentially Ahsoka's episode with guest starring The Mandalorian. Michael, overall, how did you feel about this episode? 
Well, disagreeing with you just slightly on that last comment, uh, a couple things. One, well, it's definitely the Ahsoka Tano episode. Yeah. I woke up this morning and I felt like it was like nerd Christmas. Like my first thought when I opened <laughs> my eyes was today's the day. Like I was, and I wouldn't get on Twitter. I wasn't checking anything until I watched it. Cause I just, I just was like, I got to do it. And, uh, kind of, kind of Dolores point, you know, the episode opens and we're go, we just dive right in. Like she's there. Yep. We're just in it. You see those two white lightsabers and you're like, shit, it's here. It's happening. But what I think was amazing and I think was really good. And we'll touch on it a little bit later as well is despite the fact that this is a hundred percent, the Ahsoka Tano show, and we got way more Ahsoka Tano than I even hoped and dreamed we yeah. would get. It also, the emotional core of this episode is grounded in the relationship between Mando and Baby Yoda. Sure. And this kind of is a huge turning point for Mandalorian because everything up to this point was protecting the child. Where do I take the child? Where do I go? And it was all built around get them to the Jedi. That was the end of season one. Right. That happened. And we've now got a bunch more information and a different direction and kind of a different relationship between Mando and Baby Yoda. So even though this gave me everything I could have possibly wanted in Ahsoka Tano and Rosario Dawson absolutely killed it. Uh, it really was still a really great Mando and uh, Grogu episode, if you will. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's my overall thoughts. I mean, honestly, I think probably one of the best episodes of Mandalorian period, and maybe one of the best hours of star Wars that's out there in existence. Like it was just so good. This is the best episode of the Mandalorian yet. In my opinion, this is maybe top five, any kind of star Wars episode of anything animated live action ever. It even rivals some of the movies in my opinion, overall yep. as a, as a, a show or a, or a piece of media, it was incredible. And there were so many things here that you can tell that were star Wars related, but also get back, went back to the foundations of star Wars, which is this Japanese influence, this Kurosawa influence, which is, you know, hidden fortress is essentially what George was using as a foundation for the C-3PO R2-D2 relationship with the princess. So much of the opening of, of Ahsoka Tano, her coming out of the fog is very reminiscent of Throne of Blood, his version of Macbeth. And that the later, the confrontation on the, uh, you know, it's very similar to Gunslingers, but also very similar to Yojimbo when he faces Tatsuya, Tatsuya Nakadai in Yojimbo. So there was a lot, plus the architecture, the Japanese gardens, just there was, and the music, it all just gave you a very, very Japanese-centric episode, which I thoroughly loved. Plus, Dave Filoni, my God, it's so it's so correlative to Bryce Dallas Howard's episode. It's leaps and bounds better than his episode from last season, Gunslinger. Just the visuals, and Christian said this, Christian Harlov said this to me, texted this morning, and it made so much sense to me. It's like an episode of Clone Wars come to life, Laura. It 100%. Was, I mean, just the shot of Ahsoka Tano and Yoda, Baby Yoda or uh, Grogu talking with the moonlight behind them. I mean, what a shot, Laura. As, as such a fan of Clone Wars as you are, what was, does it feel like that to you? It did. It very much felt like that. And it was so exciting. The amount of, you know, the, the sort of martial arts and the visual effects with the sabers, all of the feats that they were able to pull off in this episode. I mean, I, you can really tell they've like, they've upped the budget. They've got different, yeah. you know, they've got more people working on the visual effects of this season. And they're just, I mean, they're just knocking it out of the park. I, I totally agree with your point on the Bryce Dallas Howard episode was so much better this season, I think, than last season. Um, and then, yeah, this Dave Filoni episode was, it was really something for me. I just felt like it, it, it I felt like I came home or something. Oh, it was, wow. it was just, it felt so, it just felt so good to see. So coming, coming home, coming home really is accurate. Uh, I've loved Mandalorian. We talk about all the Star Wars Easter eggs. We talk about the ties to this and that. I mean, that's kind of what we do every week. And this just felt like, it felt like a piece of Star Wars kind of fell back into place in a way that I didn't know I was missing. 
Mm. I, like yeah. I, if that's the best way. I also think, you know, I, uh, I, I think what they're really doing well here, and this is a hard thing to do, is this episode was packed so full of information that if you're a hardcore Star Wars fan, there's just a ton to dive into, which we are about to do. But if you're a casual Star Wars fan, if you've never watched Clone Wars or Rebels, if you've only, if all you've watched is Mandalorian, the information is there. Like they have managed to do something that is at both, it is equally full of geekness uh, and accessible to the non-geek at the same time, which yeah. I think is really... Because I have friends who are not the biggest Star Wars fans, uh, and they're loving Mandalorian, and they ask me, oh, who is this? Who is this? But it's like, it doesn't t- detract from their viewing, which I think is a really... It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a hard thing to do, and they're doing it really well. Yeah, you make an excellent point, Mike. Walking that high wire between, you know, making sure you cater to the casual Star Wars fans and the hardcore Star Wars fans without affecting the overall effect of the show is not an easy thing to do. And I think they both, I think Filoni absolutely knocked it out of the park. Let's deal with it. This is Ahsoka Tano. She is live action. Rosario Dawson is playing her. I thoroughly loved the look. I loved her approach. This is an older Ahsoka than we've seen in uh, animated series past. So I, her, some of her movement was different. Some of her movement was slightly slower. Her look is more Clones Wars-ish than Rebels-ish. So overall, how was your feeling about uh, uh, Ahsoka Tano? Uh, yeah, Mike, let's go to you. Uh, well, no, Laura, you're let's the biggest Laura, Laura. Yeah, Laura, you tell <laughs> us. What was your overall feeling and vibe about seeing finally Laura, uh, uh, Ahsoka Tano come to live action and Rosario Dawson's portrayal of her? You know, I'm excited to address this because I think that that was a little bit of what I've been seeing a little some in some of the reception today is that mm-hmm. some people having a sort of problem with the the little bit of the look and the the movement um, and the fighting style, which I'm that's fair, I guess, if you want to be nitpicky. Yeah. I've been preparing myself for this for a really long time. The fact that we're going to be getting a live action version of an animated character, she's not going to look the same. She's not going to sound the same. We knew mm-hmm. that for certain. Um, and, you know, the fighting style, the fact that she's now, I mean, Ahsoka would now be 46 years old right. in this timeline. She's not a 17-year-old girl that we left in the Clone Wars. You know, there's been a lot that's changed. Um, and, you know, we even saw a little bit, you know, a, a departure from her fighting style in Rebels. So that just mm-hmm. the animation style was a little bit different. So we've all, you know, the people who've been sort of following her through the canon have maybe been training for this a little bit. Yeah. But overall, I was a huge fan. I really liked the look. The only thing that, like, got me a little bit were the eyes. There mm. was, like, and, you know, Ahsoka has these big blue eyes. And you just, with I think without doing some sort of, like, motion capture things on Rosario Dawson's face with maybe they did I couldn't tell if like the face shape they maybe modified a little bit or if Mm -hmm. it was just makeup either way I thought it looked great um I was fully on board with it I thought they did a a killer job the new outfit was great the lightsabers looked amazing oh yeah yeah Yeah. Mike yeah I agree I mean look I, I I liken this to when we have a comic book character we love and then we see them in live action. I mean, it's never going to be a one-to-one. Uh, the way Ahsoka Tano fights in Star in Clone Wars and Rebels is uh, largely due to the benefits of what you can do in animation when you are just like going for it and being crazy and no amount of special effects. Like, I'm much happier with what they chose to do than trying to do some kind of like motion capture. We're going to have her spinning around like doing like, it, like I just think that this was much more grounded and real. Uh, and there, yeah, there's a thousand little ways, whether it be the voice or the eye or anything like Laura's saying where it's not quite exact but the spirit of who Ahsoka Tano is like what she's yeah. about the vibe that she has the gentleness she had both with Grogu and with the way that she dealt with Mando like it was Ahsoka like and yeah. I think that that's the more important like I'm much happier with someone who 
acts the part and doesn't look exactly the same than someone who looks exactly the same, but underneath it's not there. And I think that this is the Ahsoka Tano. If this is the Ahsoka Tano that we're going to see in live action, and it seems like we're going to see her for a that there, there's a lot more to come with her. Uh, yeah. I'm super on board and happy with it. I agree with that. I mean, I think that, you know, you're, you're seeing a character progress and mature as a, uh, you know, as a person, and you're not going to get that young, more exuberant thing. It's she's a she's becoming a master in her own way. She's more quiet. She's more reserved. She's more calm in situations. So naturally, that's I loved that they gave her moments of silence, moments of communication with with a, a Grogu that were with with that were, didn't speak. They were still acting. She was still acting up a storm while she wasn't speaking, and there was such a sense of calm and peaceness to her. As she becomes more self-possessed as a human being, she is not going to be as exuberant or excitable as she was as young. And that happens to everybody, I think, as they get older. So I loved that they gave her that weight, that kind of gravitas, so to speak, as a character. And she really owned it, Rosario did. And, you know, it's not easy to take such an iconic character and bring it to life with all the pressure and the expectations and I thought she knocked it out of the park. The only thing about the look that I might have had a weird issue with is some of the the wrinkles or the crests in the it looked like foam type stuff that Montrals. bothered me. Yeah, the, the bothered me a little bit, but it wasn't enough to take away from anything that I was enjoying about her character, the portrayal. All of it looked very natural to me, uh, and I and the fight scene with her and Mando, as quick as it was, was awesome. Uh, and you know, further promoted the idea that there's something even stronger, possibly than a Jedi sword. And that's the Beskar armor, and we saw that twice in the in this show. So I was excited to see that as well as a new wrinkle in the Star Wars mythology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like the Beskar armor and the you know, the, it's it's been established that most of the Mandalorians' weapons, uh, the Beskar armor, everything originally kind of dated back to this is what you need to battle a Jedi, and I think yeah. we saw a little bit of that today, and I thought it was really really cool. Well, let's go step by step. We, like we 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 get this uh, meeting with uh, you know, Ahsoka Tano threatens uh, Morgan Elsbeth, who is being played. This is quickly. I'll give you a little information. Being played by Diana Lee Inosanto. She is the goddaughter of Bruce Lee. She is the daughter of Dan Inosanto, who is a Filipino American martial arts icon and Bruce Lee's protege and training partner. And just to show you the wheels with the wheels of this show, Diana Lee Inosanto was first came to prominence and note as an actress when she was doing some stunt work for Barb Wire, the movie with Pamela Anderson. And because she was so well doing some of the training on the side, they cast her in the film to fight who? Tamora Morrison in the movie, who of course plays oh, wow. Boba Fett. And so there's wheels within wheels of this thing it that are just, in, yeah, it all comes back through this. <laughs> but again, more Japanese influence. Uh, I'm sorry, more. There's an Asian influence here with with Bruce Lee in China and the martial arts throughout the Filipino influences. So all of it was really great. But anyway, more, a lot of people are speculating that Morgan Elsbeth might be part of uh, Chirrut Imwe's order. Who do you guys think she was? Who are you guys speculating? Because the use well, of the staff and the way she carried herself. There definitely was a vibe to that. Okay. Like, definitely. I, I I thought the same thing. I thought of him right away. I kind of thought of the way he moved in Rogue One. Um, you know, what's established later on when Ahsoka explains it to Mando is yeah. uh, she was someone whose people were sort of ravaged during the Clone Wars uh, that drove her in her rage to work with the Empire. So it sounds like she was probably on the... Sep uh, you know, she was... 
attacked by the separatists at some point in the Clone Wars, and that made her her hate for them, made her, when the Republic turned into the Empire, she joined them and built things for the Navy, uh, built ships for their Navy. So it doesn't seem, despite the fact that there was definitely that similarity in the movement, and she definitely had that samurai kind of style, yeah. the backstory they gave her was less uh, spiritual and more she helped the Empire uh, get slave labor and ravage planets to build the Navy, which kind right. of ties into the big reveal of who her master is later on. Right. Um, so I think that's the information we have, but I definitely did see the Chirrut sort of uh, similarities. Yeah. What are your feelings on that, Laura? Did you see that as well? You know, I didn't pick up on it much because I was way too focused on the Thrawn connection. I'm just, <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about like, well, where did they meet along the line? And are we maybe going to see this person in Chaos Rising or, or in the right. next Thrawn book that's coming out in the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy? Has she been mentioned before? And I've just me- like missed it because it was a quick right. little tidbit somewhere. But yeah. I, that's the that was the connection I was much more focused on. I really didn't give much thought to it. But I do mm-hmm. like the idea that maybe there is some connection to Chirwit there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder maybe if she kind of... if. It, the interpretation I got was that maybe that she came from like a sort of like different class than him. If he was more mm-hmm. of a monk, it seems like she was more of like kind of the more in the business class, more of the aristocracy of whatever planet they came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it sounds like she but also kind of sounds like maybe she worked her way up kind of through the empire. And who knows if that yeah. was like social yeah. connections. Um, but, yeah, I'm just like, give me a little backstory on this woman. I would love to know where the connection to Thrawn came into play. And yeah. uh, how did yeah. she become his master is an interesting term to me. Mm. That they chose right. that of all of all the words, not boss, um, not you know, some or overlord or something, but master is it was an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. that's a good call. Uh, in, yeah, in, I do, and I. I oh no, I was saying, say, real I, quickly, in the world of Star Wars, it's connected, right? Master because Jedi, Master Sith, Master Samurai. Like, what is this connection? It's a great point. What does this tell us about Thrawn? What else is he even doing? Sorry, Michael, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was gonna say I also just love like the reference to the Clone Wars. Uh, you know, I just love the little ways that they're sort of tying these characters into both the past, the present, and the future. Like we said last week, I mean, just the fact that her backstory dates back to what happened in the Clone Wars, just like yeah. with Grogu's backstory, which we find out, which we know kind of ties back to Revenge of the Sith. So I think they're doing a great job of sort of grounding these people in times, places, and dates that we understand yeah. that helps them come even in the little bit of information they give us it helps them come a little bit more to life yeah uh well so let's let's just dive into this you know we uh ahsoka tano eventually after after uh the mandalorian try, uh, dinjarin tries to go after her they have this conversation he says bogatan sent her then they ha- then we have these moments uh with uh baby yoda we find out his name is grogu uh and we find out that he was trained at a jedi temple in Coruscant by many masters then was hidden away after the end of the clone wars uh and has developed a fear of using his powers and has been hiding them in order to survive all this time so that was all that was just so much to take in about the history of what you can default think about is a baby yoda but remember it's been around 50 years so what's this training about jedi master so overall mike let's get your what was your reaction to a the name and having all this history now installed into uh grogu uh, well, first of all, the way they the way they sort of revealed the name was just so cute. Like Ahsoka yeah. just casually like, oh, yeah, Grogu. And he's like, what? Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm already like, I'm like, great. You're my little baby Grogu. I love you forever. Uh, so much information. And like I was saying, you know, I mean, Mandalorian from the very first episode was built around why is there a little Yoda? Who is mm-hmm. he? What's the mystery behind him? 
where what what what's going on and we just got between last week's sort of reveal of why the empire or the remnants of the empire was using him and now this i was actually really surprised to find out that he was in the jedi temple like when the jedi temple fell that he was actually already there like he was a foundling who had been brought to the jedi temple he was training and contextually what this means is that when anakin skywalker went on his children killing spree uh it means somebody or somehow this foundling was protected so when all the other uh young jedi were killed in the temple somewhere there's there's a piece of this story missing that will be revealed eventually somebody took him away hid him away for a long time and then another piece of this mystery somehow he ended up kind of in these kind of criminals hands and was about to be sold off to the empire so there's there's still more story there to reveal but we did get a huge chunk of that and i think like again tying it back to the events of revenge of the sith the fact that he was tied to the jedi temple something that ahsoka tano is very familiar with uh was great and also as i was saying last week in our review finally got somebody to be like yeah i've seen one other guy that looks like him it's Mm. master yoda uh sad for yaddle from fort phantom menace who's getting no no mentions here uh r.i.p r.i.p yaddle Yaddle. (laughs) apparently yaddle Yaddle, Yaddle was uh, long gone by the time Ahsoka came around, but uh, we finally got that Yoda connection, which was really, really cool. And I think that uh, it was it was great. Uh, what did you guys think? Yeah, what do you think, Laura? I really enjoyed that uh, the fact that we don't have to, hopefully not have to call him the child anymore. I know that Disney's <laughs> been really like insistent on not calling him Baby Yoda. and call- I'm like, uh, we got to get over, we got to get through this. So I will, I fully accept <laughs> Grogu and I will, I will switch over to that. Um, but I, I thought the, that it was a great scene between them. Um, I do want to know more. I wonder sometimes if like we're going to be getting a Mandalorian novel sometime next year. Right. And I wonder if maybe they'll cover this component because, you know, we do have these two main characters. We have Din Djarin and we have Grogu. And it would be nice if this story, this, this book that's coming out covers both. But all we got from Ahsoka Tano was that someone took him from the temple and then yeah. his memory becomes dark. Right. We know a couple of Jedi who survived Order 66, Kanan Jarrus for one. Yeah. Um, but we kind of, from comics, we know where Kanan Jarrus' story yeah, goes. Yeah, he wasn't anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, and we, we know that know... Kanan wasn't anywhere near the Jedi Temple when he went down. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, but we don't, you know, we don't know exactly who all survived. I think there was a hint at one point that... Um, uh, now I'm blanking on the name, but we know a couple of other Jedi who survived, and I wonder mm-hmm. if maybe there's going to be some connection where they're going to bring in some of them to the or story it wasn't... so we can get some clues. Or it wasn't a Jedi. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. I mean, there's a lot of maybe. possibilities there. Uh, um, yeah. I also, I, 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 liked, I liked it too, but listen, once again, I'm, I'm in this place where I think there's more darkness to uh, Grogu than, than people are... Well, uh, I think people are getting caught up with the cuteness of him, but this idea that she says... Then his memories go dark and he's afraid and he's alone. Uh, it lends itself more. And remember, an Ahsoka makes a great reference to Anakin. I've because when she says she doesn't want to train him because his his connection to Dinjarin, he's got emotions. So in those emotions, there could be fear and anger, and that could come out. And she doesn't want to train him. And I've seen what that can do to a Jedi Knight, even the best of us. Even the best of them. Oh man, that was just awesome heartbreaking yeah and so you're like okay we lay that groundwork for that but she doesn't want to train him right this is very reminiscent remember yoda rejected anakin remember yoda said no anakin you don't you shouldn't train him blah 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 so i wonder if there's like little small references hurt him choking uh um uh carl last season all this stuff i just find in my mind like i'm starting to see that there's the possibility of some darkness in uh grogu 
uh, more and more week to week. And I like it. I like to throw in that. It doesn't mean they'll go that path, but I like that they're throwing uh, it. Yeah, like, you know, he's going to be a he's going to be a power hungry despot who just uh, destroys planets for blue macarons. Like, it'll be great. <laughs> hey, it happens. It happens. Um, what did you guys think? But no, about- I do think but I do think okay. you but just on that point, I mean, I do think you make a good point. And they're clearly kind of drawing that parallel. I mean, yeah. Phantom Menace is all about a young and powerful Jedi who uh, is coming to the Jedi Temple a little late. And they're like, he's got too much anger in him. And we're just in the exact same spot here. So totally different context feels new and fresh, feels different. But with definite shadows of where we've been before, it's like echoes upon echoes. And I thought they did it really well without hitting you over the head with it. Yeah, yeah. Did you like the training sequence, the stone and all of that? That was I love that moment, the the communication there. I love that they can communicate with it with the, just their thoughts. Uh and then, you know, what we get afterwards, uh Amanda her saying she refuses to train him, uh and then talking about everything that happened with Morgan Elizabeth, so we get a little more of that. So then we move on to them saying they're going to band together and go after uh, Morgan Elsbeth. And we haven't even mentioned Michael Bean playing Lang. For those of us who grew up in the 80s, Michael Bean has a special reverence for a number of reasons. And it's very Western-esque, the part he's playing. And don't forget, for those of you who may remember from the 90s on, on CBS, he was the lead of that Magnificent Seven series. So the cowboy thing is very much in his blood. And of course, Tombstone as well. So did we like Michael Bean? Did we like Lang? Uh, he had a little bit of the Michael Rooker voice going on. A little. What did you guys think about this character? He gave me a lot of Tobias Beckett vibes. I was getting a lot of <laughs> it. Reminded me so nice. much of Solo, yeah. um, which I thought, which was interesting because then, of course, that's how it goes down um, in yeah. the end with with Michael Bean. But I enjoyed the character. It was one of those things where I didn't I didn't recognize him um, for many of the things. That I haven't seen any of the things I think that he's more well known for. Mm. But it was one of those things where Star Wars or Mandalorian likes to bring in these actors that people know and just put them in the forefront. And my immediate thing is, oh. I'm supposed to be excited about this and know who this is, and I don't. But that's fine. I'm glad that other people are happy about it. <laughs> oh my god! Well, what's with the petty shots, like, Laura? <laughs> Terminator, Terminator, yep. Aliens, Abyss, Abyss, Mandalorian. I'm good yep. with it. I was yep. happy. I was. It's good to see him. You hang around long enough, you might end up in a Star Wars show. You just never know if you hang <laughs> exactly. around long enough. Um, but no, this leads us. Oh, sorry, Michael. What do you think about having Lang in there, Michael Bean in there? I, no, I liked that. I liked him a lot there, but in just kind of tying back to what you were saying before about the training mm-hmm. sequence, I also thought like one of the greatest parts about this, and again, this is where I felt like this was just a great Mandalorian episode itself, was the way that Ahsoka, as amazing and awesome and Jedi powerful as she is, uh, you know, that she recognized that only Mando was going to get him to do it. Right, that, that, right. that they just sort of underscored, and even just like Mando's nervousness when he's pacing, when Ahsoka and Grogu are like kind of communing with each other, uh, Mando's sort of like, well, no, he can do it i've seen him do it he's really powerful like he was totally like the nervous proud dad yeah uh more so more so in this episode than we've seen in the past uh i'm gonna keep moving my table because the sun is moving since i'm outside okay. all right and my ring light is not here so we're just gonna keep doing this um <laughs> god's natural it's great guys light. this is what happens this is what happens when you're in god's country uh no but i mean i think that more so than in other episodes where we sort of get those hints like we know that mando is sort of that gruff guy who really loved the little fella but he really doubled down on the emotions that he was feeling for him and the connection. And I think that really made this episode uh, strong in a way that I wasn't expecting. I mean, I was I was, I was was hoping Ahsoka was gonna be great, but I thought that was really great too. So I just yeah. wanted to get that in there, but. Uh, 
Yeah, so they make a deal that uh, she will train uh, uh, Grogu if they if Mando helps her. Once again, Mando being recruited into a battle, episode per episode, into this battle to take over this city and depose uh, Morgan Elsbeth. They end up uh, going in. She ends up tearing, kicking some ass. Uh, uh, Mando comes in from the side, and then she has this confrontation, Ahsoka Tano does, with Morgan Elsbeth there inside her little walled-off uh, garden area. And this is just a phenomenal fight. Uh, Laura, what did you think about the Beskar army here, the two, her two lightsabers, and then hearing Lang and the Mandalorian having their own conversations outside of this thing? How did you feel about this entire sequence? I really enjoyed Ahsoka and, and Din Djarin sort of pulling a fast one on them of her yeah. throwing the pauldron down on the ground. Um, I thought that that was fun. We get a little glimpse of a loath cat uh, while they're sort right. of, you know, running around through the city uh, and through the alleys. But this this scene in the in the garden, I thought was really cool. And I feel like I saw a couple people talking about the sort of fighting style and not liking it. But I just I'm like. I've got two women on the screen that are so badass. Like, look at what's happening. I'm like, I'm I'm just ecstatic. Yeah. And so I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the twist at the end of, you know, I because I was questioning the whole time. We've got Ahsoka fighting sabers, sorry, sabers forward. Um, and we're not seeing a ton of the backhand grip that she's sort of traditionally known for oh, in both yeah. uh, Rebels and Clone Wars. But then we see at the very end her sort of turn the tables. And now we've all of a sudden, uh, Morgan is not prepared to fight against this sort of style of fighting and that ends up being her downfall. And I, I loved watching that entire sequence play out and yeah. bringing back in the backhand grip for Ahsoka. Um, it just, yeah, it was just another one of those components of like, Oh, I am, I am home. I am back home with this episode. Thank you, Dave Filoni for welcoming me back. <laughs> I think Mike, I think another thing that they've done in star Wars that, I think it was, it's done in part to kind of justify the fact that Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Clone Wars is an amazing lightsaber fighter, and then we get to New Hope, and him and Darth Vader kind of have a more basic lightsaber sure. fight. Uh, <laughs> let's just say more basic. Um, but like, I was really, it was it was reminiscent, as I watched Ahsoka have a kind of a, I would say, calmer, more, uh, more um, thoughtful fighting style, perhaps. Yeah. It really called back to uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul in Rebels yeah, team, great where reference. you had this battle where, you know, Darth Maul's coming at him with the heat and Obi-Wan is just like, boom, bop, boop. And this idea that as these Jedi get older, as they become a little bit older, a little bit wiser, a little bit more tied to the force, they realize that all of that energy they were expending when they were younger um, isn't necessarily necessary. Yeah. Uh, and I think that as I watched the way they did it with Ahsoka, whether that is because you can't really do all the things that Ahsoka can do in animation, or they were trying to be like, look, she is a little, Johnny, to your point, older. Uh, she's been through some stuff. She's 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 grown as a fighter. And in growing as a fighter, she realizes she doesn't have to expend as much energy. She can just flow with the force. So I thought it was great. I totally agree. Like, two awesome badass women fighting. Mm -hmm. And it was just super cool. Uh, the entire sequence was so well done. I mean, yeah. just seeing a Jedi and a Mandalorian fight together like that in live action, on the big screen, or the small screen, uh, was just so thrilling. And, you know, what I love about Mandalorian is we know what's going to happen each week. Mm -hmm. He's going to go somewhere. There's going to be somebody. They're going to be like, I'll give you what you want, but you got to help me first. Like, that is the setup of the show. But mm -hmm. within that simplicity, they're able to give us so much character and so much fun and so much action and so much choreography. So I, uh, it was just thrilling. The entire thing was thrilling. Yeah, that scene was a perfect marriage of the Western influence and the Eastern influence of Star Wars. And it was right there. I mean, uh, 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 Lang and Din Djarin is, are essentially two gunfighters. And he's like, hey, uh, well, I don't know who's going to win. Oh, it sounds like you won. Let me lay down my guy. You know, that kind of thing. It's, it's basically an old school gunfight. And then having an awesome, essentially, samurai fight 
in uh, in the garden there was incredible as a balance for me personally. Uh, one thing I want to mention, Laura, you mentioned two women fighting. For me personally as a Latino, earlier in the episode, having a woman like Rosario Dawson, who is of Cuban and Puerto Rican ancestry, talking with Pedro Pascal, who is of Chilean ancestry, about Grogu, that is a moment of representation for Latinos for me that I had to stop the episode for a few seconds because I got emotional because I'm like, finally, we get to be part of this thing in such effective ways in such powerful ways, in such main ways. So it was great to see for that as well. So totally take your point about two women here being badass on the screen, live action in a Star Wars show. Totally enjoyed all of this. And then we get the reveal, you know, obviously after Lang gets shot by the Mandalorian, we get the reveal that the master is Thrawn. So you mentioned a little bit, Laura, but we got to talk about this. Where are we going now? Is this mean Thrawn is higher than Gideon? Is this a future uh, villain for season three or possibly hinted at the end? Or is this a spinoff thing? What do you two think is going to happen here? Oh, I'd be willing to bet that this will be the last time we see Ahsoka in this show. I I hate to say that. I don't think we're going to see her this season. Um, And I would be surprised if we see her in a subsequent season. I think that this was definitely supposed to be a sort of warm up for um, what will inevitably be a like Star Wars Rebels spinoff, which I had thought was going to be an animated series uh, from all the rumors that we've mm. heard. But maybe there's another live action series in the works. I it, I really am not sure what to think because I think this Ahsoka Tano Sabine Wren story where they're off searching for Ezra is a really interesting story thread to pursue, and it's one that Dave Filoni is not letting anybody else handle. It's something yeah. that he wants to to take personal control of which is totally understandable um and something that i'm all for so i'll be excited to see where they go with it but i i do have a feeling that this i don't think we're going to see any more of her this season i think this may have been a one and done all right mikey uh i don't i i think we haven't seen the last of ahsoka tano in mandalorian whether it's this season or next season i think she's she has more of a part to play but i also do agree that she's getting a warm-up for probably her own spin-off her own series and i do think that uh especially after seeing the success that Mandalorian has had. And I'm sure Disney executives are looking at Twitter and social media today and being like, fuck, they were right. Fans really like this chick. Uh, Ahsoka Tano. Ahsoka Tano's here to stay and she'll probably get her own spinoff series. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn actually raises a bunch of questions. There's a bunch that we sort of don't know in what we now know. Uh, you know, for those that are not aware, in Star Wars Rebels, Grand Admiral Thrawn, uh, Grand Admiral of the Imperial Navy, super badass, no, not a Jedi, not a Sith, not Force powerful, but brilliant strategic guy, can best anybody, thinks 10 steps ahead of everyone. When last we saw him was carried off by a Purville, which is a space whale, that can use the force uh, to travel (laughs) hyperspace lanes. It's a lot of information. Don't worry about it. It gets crazy. Star Wars is weird. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn and Ezra Bridger, who was the young uh, Jedi of Rebels, uh, was taken away by the space whale. And at the very end of Rebels, we see, as Laura said, uh, Ahsoka and Sabine Wren going off to find Ezra. So that was about, uh, I wrote it down, the timeline. uh, The end of Rebels is the Battle of Endor, which is about uh, five ABY after the Battle of Yavin from New Hope. And we are now in sort of nine ABY, like about like four or five years later. Uh, So the question is, did Ahsoka and Sabine find Ezra and Thrawn at that time? And Ezra is somewhere that we don't know yet, and Thrawn is back, which is why uh, the Magistrate would be like, that's my master. Is this part of her trying to find Ezra? And in finding Thrawn, she's going to find Ezra? So, like, yeah. we don't know where Ahsoka and Sabine are on this journey of, like, are we going to find out what happened later that leads to this, or is this the road that they're going to? Uh, is Baby Yoda, is Grogu going to go to this Jedi Temple next week and call out to a Jedi, and Ezra Bridger shows up at the end of the season? Like, there's a bunch of questions 
out there now that the uh, reveal of Thrawn and the fact that someone uh, that he is someone's master uh, raises a lot of questions from where we last saw him at the end of Rebels. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, the timeline's going to be interesting to figure out, like where they are in this journey or where they've been. Or I'm like, I didn't didn't Rebels jump at the end? Futuristic to them going after Ezra. The yeah, right? the yeah, was did, right? well, because, Endor, yeah. Yeah, because right. as, yeah, like Grand Admiral, Grand Admiral Thrawn and Ezra disappear before New Hope, Battle basically. I mean, yeah, they 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 disappear before the rebellion yeah. gets started, but then we jump forward at the very end of Rebels to the Battle of Endor, which right. is five years later, uh, and where we see uh, we we see uh, Sabine and Ahsoka taking off to go look for Ezra. Right, 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 yeah. Oh, well, you mentioned something about the the. Let's finish off uh, a little bit here. Yeah, it, both sides end up winning. Both Ahsoka Tano and Dinjarin handle their business, um, uh, and then Ahsoka comes over and uh, says that she is not going to train Mando. She kind of goes back on that. So uh, that really kind of upsets a little bit the Mandalorian. And then she says, "Well, there's another suggestion for you. Another." possibility here you can take the child grogu to tython where he'll find the ruins of an ancient jedi temple that has a strong connection to the force uh he could place uh, uh grogu on a seeing stone at the top of the mountain then grogu may choose his path if he reaches out through the force there's a chance a jedi may sense his presence he comes searching for him then again there aren't many jedi left which she says with some real deep sadness so here uh, which is which is ironic considering the fact she didn't want to join the Jedi Council and kind of walked her own path. So maybe some retrospect there and thinking about how the Jedi uh, was essential to the universe or to the galaxy. So who do you guys think is the Jedi that they are uh, that, that might be answering the call? Will it be a Jedi? Will it be a Sith Lord? Like who would answer this call? What do we think uh, they're setting up? And remember, this is the fifth episode. We only have three episodes left in this season. So uh, who do you think might answer this call here? Mikey well, Blake. I mean, I, Michael mentioned, Michael mentioned Ezra Bridger, and I, yeah, as, never as, occurred to me. I love it. I mean, Ezra Bridger's out there. Uh, yeah, we've we, we we've got Ahsoka. Uh, we've got Bo-Katan. Um, if Thrawn is back enough to be somebody's master, Ezra's somewhere around. Uh, you know, possibly, or he's going to be drawn in. Uh, John, I think you're also right. Maybe it's not going to be a Jedi. Maybe it's going to be someone darker. I did a little bit of searching. Uh, Tython is from you know in the Legends category of Star Wars. Tython yeah. is like the origin of the Jedi. I mean, that yep. temple is like the OG Jedi temple. Yep. Uh, so they may be building as they often do, taking something like Thrawn from the Legends category and moving it in. Uh, Tython did get mentioned. I looked it up. Uh, I believe in the Doc Afra comic, which is mm -hmm. in modern continuity. So it's been mentioned but it's definitely like hotbed of force activity um to your point about three episodes mandalorian has weird pace not weird pace mandalorian has its own pacing mm -hmm. and i think a lot of what who we might see or what's going to happen whether ahsoka is going to come back whether we're going to see bo katan again whether ezra is going to show up is going to be contingent on what happens in the next episode yeah they could spend the entire episode on their way to tyth to tython and right. just get there at the very end. And the last two episodes of the season might be a big two-parter like season one. And it'll be dealing in the Jedi Temple. Yeah. They could also just get to the Jedi Temple at the beginning. And in the first 10 minutes, he can put him on the seeing stone. And shit could go down. Like, there's a lot in play. Boba Fett's in play from the very beginning. 
we think it's Boba Fett. Johnny is at a 95%. But Boba Fett's in play, so that's just a piece of the thread out there. <laughs> Moff Gideon currently is tracking Mando, so he's on his way with that army of droids or yeah. armor or whatever that is. Yeah. He's got the Darksaber that Bo-Katan is trying to find with her team of Mandalorians. Ahsoka has now left them to go wherever, but I don't think we've seen the last of her. And they're going to a Jedi temple to put him on a seeing stone and try and get other Jedi to come around. And aside from Luke Skywalker, who I don't think we're going to, I, I don't think is going to get involved in this adventure. Uh, Ezra is kind of like, uh, Ezra's kind of the next likely suspect. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Laura? Do you like the idea of Ezra? Is there another Jedi in your mind or maybe a Sith Lord in your mind? No, you know, I don't have any Sith Lords in my mind. Ezra hadn't occurred to me until Michael just mentioned it, and I love that idea. I don't think Luke Skywalker is in play. I would be really surprised to see him. I don't know. I kind of hope that that's not the case. Um, But I think that Ezra is a likely candidate. And, you know, I'm going to backtrack on what I said about Ahsoka not coming back because I'm remembering in an interview that that, uh, Giancarlo Esposito did earlier Uh, this year where he talked about how he's going to be having a lightsaber battle at some point during this season, which means we're going to see another, we have to have another lightsaber <laughs> brought mm-hmm. back into the series at some point. The most likely candidate there would be Ahsoka. And I forgot mm-hmm. also that the, the Razor Crest is being tracked by Moff Gideon. Right. So he's probably going to end up back on uh, Corvus, I think is the name of the planet and then be questioning Ahsoka. And maybe that's where the lightsaber battle goes down. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, that's, like that. I like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, there's. I, it'll be interesting to see how many pieces with all the pieces that are in play. It's going to be look. They did a great job. Like I didn't think they would do it last season. You got to chapter seven, and it was like, okay, I got to go back. I'm going to go get every character from every episode in like a yeah. nice little montage and line them all up. So the capability they have to pick up all the threads and bring them all home to stick the landing. They proved it once. So yeah. I think we're definitely going to see it again. Uh, and yeah. kind of to the bigger question, how many of these threads are for the season two finale? How many of these are threads that are going to get picked up in season three? And how many of these are threads that are being built in because they are planning spinoff city because yeah. people are loving this version of star Wars better than uh, a lot of things that people have uh, been dealing with in a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a few episodes ago, I think I, when Laura and I were, uh, were doing the Jedi way, I mentioned how there's no way they're they're presenting all these characters and not having them all come into play here in the season finale, in my opinion, in some way. And you might be right, Mark. It, Mike, it might be a two-parter. It might be a two-parter, which would be exciting to see overall. I, In fact, I imagine it will be, which would make sense, kind of a pseudo movie, a 90-minute movie or a longer movie, essentially, when you put the two parts together. That would be exciting to see. Also, the overall idea, and listen, we can't ignore the real-world stuff. Stuff, which is what happened early, a few weeks ago when Disney announced that they were going to spend more time focusing on their streaming services, spend more, like reconstruct their company to focus more on streaming services. You can already tell from this season how much money they've spent. This episode alone will show you how much more money they spent to make this thing look cinematic as hell, theatrical as hell. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is where they now see their path or the way uh, to go rather than going into movies. Because remember, they said they're going to take a step back from the movies. There's been a lot of drama with Kathleen Kennedy, with Benioff and Weiss, with Ryan Johnson, all of that stuff. But people are loving Mandalorian. So if the Kenobi series comes out and is good and they start start focusing on a spinoff series with Ahsoka Tano, this may be the way that they see the future being streaming services rather than creating a new filmed trilogy so to me that excites me because this is this is quality quality star wars 
I'll do you one better than that. Uh, okay. I agree. I agree with everything you said, but I'll do you one better, which is not just uh, sticking to the streaming and doing that, which I think they we- really will invest a lot, and they're seeing the success of that with Star Wars, but yeah. giving this team, the Mandalorian creative team, yeah. the reins to take these... Like, like it's not... As Marvel is hopefully going to prove with WandaVision and Loki and everything else, you can bounce back and forth. Like, yeah. you can go back and forth, and there's no reason that you can't take some of these threads. I mean, we're, it, it's a little premature to say this, and I think these things will happen, but, like, if we were a little bit further along, I would love to see Ahsoka and Sabine and their search for Ezra spinoff into a feature that I would go see in theaters while yeah. other stuff is happening on TV. Like, I think that this is yeah. the team, to me, and I've said this, you know, not, not that this is an original thought. Everyone says this. Uh, but the Clone Wars team, the Clone Wars and Rebels animated team, are the ones that get Star Wars. And yeah. now Favreau and the entire uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, Taika Waititi, all of that, like the entire uh, Deborah Chow, like this is the team that gets Star Wars. Just yeah. let them do Star Wars. Yeah, Laura, what you feel? This is it. Yeah, Do you? this is the team. Do you feel like this is the way with them? This is the way indeed. No, I, I think that they, they have assembled a crack team over at The Mandalorian. I'm ex- really excited for Deborah Chow being able to take on, take on her own series now with the Kenobi show. Um, fingers crossed that we get that hopefully sometime soon. I think they're supposed to start filming in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think with when it comes to Dave Filoni, you know, I, I sort of wonder like what were what exactly are his ambitions when it comes to being to you know this live action stuff. Great point. Yeah. I almost wonder if, it, if like his ambition was this: like get this animated character that he created and nurtured and loved and let her go and fly free and let's bring her into whatever we can because yeah. I just want to see Ahsoka all the time. But one thing's for sure, we definitely haven't seen the last of her. We know we're going to see sure. more of Rosario Dawson at some point, whether that be spinoff, whether that be more uh, episodes of the Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. This is, uh, this was just, it was thrilling. Speaking of fly free, I uh, didn't want this review to go by without the mention of, did everybody see Morai? Did we see the owl? Mm. You know, I saw people pointing that out. I, yeah. I, I watched the episode twice and didn't catch it. I don't know I if that's full on, necessarily her. I was the I worst know. parody. I was the worst parody of that Leonardo DiCaprio meme. <laughs> uh, sitting here drinking my drinking my coffee and just went, owl, owl. Yeah, uh, Morai is definitely there, which along with the Lothcat, it's just, you know, again, yeah. it's one of those things that like, the details that people in animation bring to something, and for those that don't know, uh, Ahsoka Tano, um, from about midpoint of Clone Wars on, uh, due to a whole force-wielding episode with some weird characters that uh, were like the father, the son, and the daughter, or the father, the yeah, oh, the yeah. father, the son, and the daughter of the force, uh, there is this owl named Morai, uh, it's a convor technically, but it's a Star Wars owl, uh, that uh, follows Ahsoka around. And anytime you see Ahsoka from that point forward, uh, Morai is there. It's the way that you knew in Rebels that Ahsoka probably wasn't fully gone because uh, Morai was there. Uh, we see Morai at the end of Clone Wars in season seven. And now um, this owl does show up uh, briefly in the shadows. You do see this owl Morai in Clone Wars, uh, sorry, in, Man- in this episode of Mandalorian. And uh, it's those little little details it's those little things that uh that are just so lovingly and carefully dropped in that i think kind of underscores what i was saying which is this is the team that is going to take star wars and keep going with it uh, one last part of this review is there anything you guys didn't like um i'd like to go for or had some issue with i go with one thing how come mando didn't reveal to ahsoka what they were using grogu's blood for did you find that to be weird that he didn't mention it to Ahsoka? Uh, but is there anything else that stood out for you guys that you may, didn't like or had some questions about? 
I wanted more. I want more. I want more. Give me another half hour. Exactly. Uh, I am well, happy that this was like one of the longer episodes that they've done this season. True. If you were, if they were going to do it in any of them, I'm like, give me this. That's that's yeah. all I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Honestly, there was so little that I didn't like. I, I liked so much. Mm. Uh, kind of to your point, you know, we know how important it is that they were using uh, right. Baby right. Yoda or Grogu for his midi chlorians and what that means. But keep in mind, Mando, who barely knows what a Jedi is, mm. right. all he knows is they were using he doesn't know that much more than he already knew we know more because we have a lot of context but to him he says the empire's hunting him and i think that's the essential information yeah. uh it might it would have been kind of weird for him to give all these other details so i that didn't bother me although i think it's a valid i think that's a valid uh mm -hmm. a point to bring up but that's why that didn't bother me mm -hmm. you know i'm trying to think but like honestly this was just such like a lovely like all the best episodes of Mandalorian, there's a ton of context to dive into, but also as just a, he showed up, there was two badass fighters. They took on the shitty town. They beat the bad guys. They freed the good guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I said, the emotional core between when, when, when Mando goes back to the razor crest and little baby Yoda, little Grogu is sleeping in his hammock and he's yeah. getting him ready. Cause he thinks this, he thinks this is it. Ahsoka's yeah. going to make good on her deal. Uh, Dude, it's emotional. It's beautiful. It is. it is. It really just underscores that these two, kind of like Dolores said, like these two main characters, like this relationship between them is the key. Like, like Mando's relationship to Grogu is going to be the thing, like kind of Johnny, to your point, whether Moff Gideon gets Grogu, whether Thrawn shows up and gets Grogu, whether some Sith Lord tries to use him, you are right. We've seen Grogu try and choke force Cara Dune. We've seen that there is the potential. Ahsoka's told us he could go bad. Uh, and despite the uh jedi orders incorrect assumption that attachments can lead to the dark side i think we were pretty well proven that the jedi council was wrong and that uh grogu's attachment to mando is going to be the thing that saves him yeah i mean i think uh this is fascinating to consider and look at because remember qui-gon jinn get killed too early before he was able to kind of school anakin and remember don't forget dave filoni had that like eight and a half minute monologue about how important that was in assessing anakin skywalker overall as a character well yeah. in, this, in this it feels like uh din Djarin is not going to be killed off and he's going to because ahsoka even says it's like you should train him, you know, you should be in, like all of this stuff. So maybe having Din Djarin being a part of him is the thing that keeps him from turning to the dark side. And if not, then I look forward to Grogu the Sith Lord at some point down the road versus Mandalorian, which should be awesome in my opinion. And don't and don't forget, I mean, that Darksaber originally right. is uh it's it's the one it's the one Mandalorian Jedi who uh crafted the Darksaber and if Mando raised Grogu and trained him in the ways of the Mandalorians and gave him some Beskar armor, and the dude was a force wielder. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's a Yoda. There's some I mean, <laughs> shit, guys. My nerd, my nerd brain just melted. I can't say anything else for the day. I have nothing else to give. <laughs> I think that's a good point for us to wrap up our review. Robert Rodriguez, you got a hell of an episode to follow, my man. I hope your episode is just as good next week. You know, he is going to direct this thing. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got. Uh, uh, thank you all so much for uh, watching and uh, uh, listening to this review. Uh, of the Mandalorian, uh, the Jedi, Chapter 13 here on the Geek Buddies. Thank you to Laura Kelly. Thank you to Michael Vogel. Uh, Laura, uh, where can they find you? And any final words, please. Um, final words. This series has just given me so many things that I never thought that I would ever get to see. 
and live action and Ahsoka Tano was top of the list. So this has been fully rewarding for me as a canon junkie, as an Ahsoka Tano fan, as a Star Wars Rebels fan to get all the Easter eggs we got in this episode. So I am just ecstatic and that's that I'll just leave it at that. Um, but my, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at shutup underscore Laura. Um, the show that I host with my friend Alice, where we drink wine and talk about Star Wars, is Force Toast, a Star Wars happy hour. You can find that any place you can find podcasts. And then I co-host The Jedi Way with John, and that, that show comes out every other week, where we talk about Star Wars. Absolutely, yeah. Looking forward to ours this week. Uh, Michael, where can they find you? What are you any final words, uh, my man? You can find me uh, on the top of Big Bear Mountain. That's where I... <laughs> currently am uh bring gloves it's cold um but other than that you can find me at mktoon on twitter and instagram uh and obviously i uh co-host the geek buddies with john roca and shannon mcclung uh when he is back and uh other than that hey i'm just i'm just around man i'm like the force i'm everywhere and nowhere that's right. He's connected to all living things. Uh, you guys can find me at the Roka says on Twitter and on Instagram. Thank you so much again for watching or listening to this. Please hit a like on this. Also subscribe to the channel and leave a comment down below. The more likes and comments you leave, it elevates the visibility of the show. And if you want to follow yep. us on Instagram, it's uh, the underscore geek underscore buddies. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. So do all of that and share it and tell people about it. Mikey. I was going to say, definitely leave comments below. Uh, the comments uh, on the on the past Mandalorian reviews have been really great. You guys have schooled Incredible. us on some things. You guys have yeah. brought up some really good points. Uh, and it's been a blast. So definitely leave a comment below. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you agree with. Tell us what you disagree with. Like, what do you think these next three episodes are going to be? Uh, tell us about it. We're really excited to chat with you. Hit us up on uh, Twitter. Dive into those conversations the same. Been a lot of fun Star Wars chats in the past couple weeks on our uh, on Twitter. So definitely hit us up. Yep, we got over 110 comments on the last review. So thank you so much. Keep sending them in. Keep giving us your thoughts. We love reading them. And a big thank you to Laura Kelly, who's been an incredible guest. Over the last Woo! Thank you, Laura. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. And people have loved you on the show, so it's been great stuff. All right, that's it from us. You all take care of yourselves uh, and uh, come back and join us for another episode, another review episode here of The Mandalorian on The Geek Buddies! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.